Don't you just love a stained glass window? Nothing says church kind of all on its own like a, a stained glass window. One thing that I have learned serving in several historic parishes, both in Brooklyn and Manhattan, is that people have a lot of feelings about stained glass windows. Um, and for good reason, I'm sure we would all agree. Stained glass windows are incredible works of art. They're inspiring and beautiful. Some are abstract, right? Windows with colors and shapes and patterns. Some are figural with a depiction of a saint or a Bible story, all of which lead us into deeper reflection and awe and wonder. And I wonder how you would respond. I know this is not a conversation, but I, I wonder how you would respond if I asked you which of the windows here was your favorite and why. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit window. I know that's a, a favorite of many around here. Maybe it's the, the scene of St. Michael and all angels depicted over our main altar. Maybe it's the Hagar window over here by the baptismal font. Maybe your favorite window isn't here at all. It's in a different church altogether. Maybe it's uh, not the most beautiful or artistically rendered, but your favorite window is one that you remember being enraptured by in your childhood. I can think of a few stained glass windows that I would love to return to over and over and over again to gaze on and pray with. When I was in seminary, I did my field education, much like Eva is doing with us now. Um, my field education was at Christ Church Philadelphia, which is the Founding Fathers Church. Uh, it's a house of worship with some of the most historic significance in our country, a place that sparked the signing of the Declaration of Independence, where Benjamin Franklin is buried. I love old historic places and things. And the first time I walked into that sanctuary, I thought, yuck. It, I found it so uninspiring. It's colonial boxy architecture, iconoclasm and puritanical values dripping from the walls. Plain wooden floors, bland surfaces, even plainer white walls, and worst of all, regular old windows that you can just see right through to the outside. It felt more like a Quaker meeting house than a church. No Gothic arches, no color, no art, no beauty. And I wondered to myself, like, why would anybody choose a plain window when you could have stained glass? Our scripture this morning is all about the call and the purpose that God has for each of us, told through the voices of prophets people whose faith was so convicting and convincing that they risked everything for it. Paul and John the Baptist are maybe more extreme examples. Uh, they've risked prison and eventually their very lives, in fact their heads. But these are the people who fill our stained glass windows, and I say that with the caveat I have not confirmed that Paul or John the Baptist are in any of our windows. Do you Kate doesn't think so. Okay. Go to another church. They're somewhere in some stained glass windows somewhere. But people like them, right, fill our, our stained glass windows. Um, we look to them, right? We look to their stories 
to the way they lived their lives, how they responded to God's call to be instructive to us for how each of us responds to God's call and purpose in our own lives. Quite fitting on a weekend that our nation celebrates Martin Luther King Jr., one of the great prophets of our time, a man who responded to God's call, what he described as an inner urge to serve God and humanity through ministry. And like many prophets who came before him, he too risked everything and gave up his life. These prophets make it into our stained glass windows and our scriptures and our history books because they teach us valuable lessons about what it looks like to follow God's call and embrace God's purpose. Now, I know all of us are hoping that it doesn't necessarily mean beheading for each of us, but they still have lessons for us. Yet that concept, that concept of purpose is a little murky. Um, so I want to talk about that for a moment and break it down, talk about what it means. Uh, the author Liz Gilbert identifies the American ideal of purpose and how it's used in our cultural and societal narrative. She says, there is a pathological obsession in this country with making sure that your life has a higher purpose. Just having a life is pretty amazing, but that's not good enough. It has to be a purposeful life. So this is the formula that we've all been fed. You've heard it in every commencement speech. You've heard it in every inspirational speech. It is, each of you is born with a special gift. Each of you has a unique offering. That is why you were sent here, to find what that is. <clears throat> the one thing you can do that literally nobody else can do. It's your job in life, your purpose, to uncover what that thing is. And then, once you find it, you must foster it and master it and curate it until you are at the top of that thing that only you can do. And then, you must monetize it. Because if you don't monetize it, you're not really successful at it. It's just a hobby. You must monetize it, but it's not enough to monetize it and be very successful at it. You must be an opportunity creator for other people within this purpose that you created so that you bring other people, uplift other people with your purpose. And it's not enough that you uplift other people and you monetize it. You must leave a legacy. You must leave a legacy so that when you are gone, generations after you're gone, the world is a changed place because you were here. No pressure. <laughs> but that is literally what you've been taught. It's hilarious, right? And it's so spot on, and it's really sad. And here's the rub. What she describes, it's just such a great quote from her, because what she describes is not the kind of purpose that any of us who follow Jesus should be striving for. Yet, it is true that a purpose for our lives is so deeply faithful. A faithful reading of scripture tells us tells us most certainly that God creates us for and with purpose. It's just that for the Christian, that looks a little different. For the Christian, it's not about our legacy or how many followers we have or how much we were able to monetize anything. For the Christian, our example is John the Baptist, who sees Jesus walking towards him and declares, here is the Lamb of God 
John the Baptist who tells his own followers to look over there and see the Son of God. John who raised his voice and pointed not at himself but at the Holy One. Perhaps this is why Martin Luther King Jr. is so recognizable as a prophet of our time. He raised his voice and pointed not to himself but to the justice of God, to the holy truth that all people are equal because God created them and deserve to be treated with the same dignity. And today, as we have the rare opportunity in our midst to bless a marriage as part of our worship together, we look to the love that's shared between two people as also having a divine purpose. Because when it's done right, that prophetic witness of all of us called by God, whether, whether it is the vocation of marriage, the vocation of preaching, or anything else, it doesn't point to, back to the person, but to the greater truth, to the higher purpose, to the love of God. The beginning of my summer at Christ Church Philadelphia only confirmed my utter hatred of plain windows in a sanctuary. During the service, tourists waiting for a glimpse of the next stop on their history, history tour would like look into the sanctuary and ogle at the worshipers in the pews as if we might somehow hurry the service along if we knew they were just waiting to get in. It was incredibly distracting, mildly irritating. But as time went on, I started to notice something. When I got into the pulpit to preach, I could see more than just the gathered congregation. When we said the prayers of the people, I could look out the window and see the world we were praying for. During the Eucharist, I could look at the altar and see a beautiful, enormous ginkgo tree waving in the breeze right outside the window behind the altar, the splendor of creation on full display. God's purpose for us is to not be stained glass. It is for people's gaze not to stop at us, but to be able to see God through us. It is perhaps the most countercultural and egoless thing we can do. It requires boldness and courage and faith. So let us heed three lessons learned from our stained glass heroes. One, a life lived with God's purpose is invitational. It reaches out a hand. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Come and see. One arm extended outward, inviting others to join you. Number two, a life lived with God's purpose doesn't stop with you. The other arm is not pointing back at yourself, but to the God that you are inviting others to behold with you. And number three, with both arms outstretched, a life lived with God's purpose is open and accepting of the call that God places before us. Thankfully, not all of our stained glass heroes were ready and willing. Maybe you find yourself in that category sometimes. Many of them were unwilling or otherwise skeptical, but all of them ultimately said yes. So may it be with us. Amen.